Thank you, Miss Sarah. I don't think you missed a single note. Well done. Thank you for working hard on that. Acts chapter 18 uh, in your Bibles. And uh, gentlemen, the PA, if you could put the map up on the screen and then turn the... Oh, you already got the center light out. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, one step ahead of me. A couple of announcements while you're uh, finding Acts 18 in your Bible. Uh, Sunday school teachers, if you somehow forgot to get your new lesson, make sure you stop by the uh, office after service tonight and pick one up. And uh, this week, we'll have two soul winning opportunities, Friday at 3.45, Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. Please join us for one or both of those. A week from this Sunday evening at 5 o'clock, there'll be a volunteer workers meeting here in the auditorium. Uh, for anyone who is serving or is interested in serving in any of our ministry here at Hay uh, Heritage Baptist Church or Academy, uh, we will be uh, providing child care so that uh, we're somewhat free uh, to just pay attention on that some vital information we need to get to you we have not been able to do this for a couple of years so we need to and you need to be here and be a part of that that's a week from this Sunday at five o'clock uh, registration for Heritage Baptist Academy for the coming school year is now open for current school families and our church families uh, as of Friday that will open up we have a waiting list uh, we have had an endless stream of families that are uh, seeking uh, Christian education for their children. And uh, so uh, once Friday comes, it'll open up to them and then it's a first come, first serve. So please uh, don't put that off. Uh, we had this, uh, the last couple of years, we've had classes completely fill up. We can only put so many little bodies or big bodies in a room, uh, that type of thing. We split classes this year, hired some staff, uh, and we may be doing similar things this coming year. Uh, so again, if you've not yet uh, uh, registered or you're interested in it, uh, please contact the school office and they will help you with that. Did you find Acts chapter 18? Very good. We are in Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, we started uh, traveling with him uh, from the city of Antioch in Acts 17. They went back to this region here known as Galatia in the green here uh, to the, where they started churches on his first missionary journey, just strengthening the brethren. Uh, along the way, they found a young man, a disciple by the name of Timotheus, and uh, Timothy, as we know him, uh, joined them and became a permanent part of Paul's team. Um, he tried to, after he got done strengthening those churches, he wasn't sure where the Lord wanted him to go. Uh, he kept trying to go in different directions. He wanted to go north, and the Lord said no. He wanted to go into this region here uh, that was known as Asia in the New Testament. Uh, but the Lord said no, and eventually God led him uh, to cross the Aegean Sea and go into this Greek peninsula. Starting in Macedonia, he went to Philippi and started the great church there. From there, he moved on to Thessalonica, was there for about three Sabbath days, uh, started again another great church. And even though he was only there a short time, uh, he established a church uh, with very historic foundation and beginning. The books of First and Second Thessalonians are written to that church. Um, it is said, and I've, I've read some articles about it, uh, that there is a church today in the modern-day city of Thessalonica uh, that can trace their roots all the way back to Acts chapter uh, 17. 
Um, you know, of course, uh, there are churches that claim that they've got both of John the Baptist heads, uh, you know, in their crypts. So, you know, I, we'll take that as far as it goes. But uh, the church at Thessalonica was definitely uh, an amazing ministry. Persecution drove him out of there after just about a month or so. And he went to Berea about 60 miles away. There he encountered another group of people. We always went to the synagogue, taught two things. Number one, he taught them that Christ or the Messiah was not coming just as a ruler, but first he was coming as a redeemer. And that as such, it was necessary for him to suffer and die and be resurrected. And Paul would take the, the scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, that's the Jewish scriptures, and he would, he would walk them through that very carefully to show them that truth. The second thing that he taught was that Jesus of Nazareth was that Messiah. He fulfilled every single prophecy, every single statement the Bible said the Messiah would, would fulfill. And uh, so he did that. Thessalonica... They claimed to be Bible believers, but, but uh, even though we showed them from the scriptures, they didn't really care what the Bible says. It all came down to that. Uh, they were set in their ways and their tradition and their ideas were more important to them than scripture. That's why they drove him out. In Berea, it was different. We read there, the Bible says these were more noble than they of Thessalonica. Noble meaning of higher integrity, a higher level of virtue. Um, and the Bible says they searched the scriptures daily, not trying to find fault with him, but they wanted to know this man is teaching is something we've not heard before. And they searched the scriptures to verify that what they were hearing was true. Can I just interject this again? We need to have a return to that mentality some of the things that I see people who claim to be Bible-believing, independent, fundamental Baptists sharing on Facebook, uh, my question is, did you even read it before you hit the share button? Um, we don't get our doctrine off the internet. We get our doctrine from the Bible. The people at Berea, they searched the scriptures daily and becoming convinced that Jesus was their promised Messiah. Many of them believed and a church was established there. The people up in Thessalonica, the ones that uh, were against the gospel, uh, somehow they heard about it. They traveled 60 miles down and they began to stir up trouble there. And uh, so the, the brethren, these new converts, sent Paul away by himself. He left Silas and Timothy in Berea to further ground them. And Paul traveled all by himself down to the city of Athens. And the rest of chapter 17 dealt with his time there. He saw a city wholly given to idolatry. His spirit was stirred in him. Uh, it, it means his insides were in an uproar as he saw the paganism. It was the, uh, the, the center of higher education and learning, of philosophy, uh, of art, and of so-called culture, and, and all that kind of stuff. But, but in Paul's mind, these people are, are lost. He wasn't carried away with the glamour 
that the world supposedly had to offer. So he went on to Mars Hill, there he preached. He did not have any encounters or bad encounters with the Jewish population there. There was a synagogue. It, it was not believed to be very large. They didn't cause him any grief. But the, uh, the, the philosophers, the Epicureans and Stoics on, on, on uh, Mars Hill, they mocked him. They, they saw him as some rube from the hills, and uh, they made fun of him. They had names. They called him a babbler, which means a seed picker. Uh, and at the end of the day, most of them uh, made fun of him or said, maybe we'll listen to you again. But even in Athens, Paul saw some fruit. And there were a few people who got saved, and history says that there was a church that was established in Athens, and the Bible mentions no more uh, about that ministry. And then Paul left uh, Athens, and he traveled to the city of Corinth, located right along this isthmus here between Achaia and the rest of the Greek peninsula. Uh, Corinth had a harbor on both ends of that, that isthmus. Corinth was a Roman colony. Uh, it was a, it was a uh, free city, meaning it was free from Roman taxation. Um, it was a well-known city. It was a large city. About 500,000 people uh, lived in the city of Corinth in that day. It was a wicked city. Corinth was the sin city of the ancient world. Pretty much anywhere you went in the Roman Empire... If someone referred to you as a Corinthian, those were fighting words. They just insulted you. Uh, they were saying that you are an immoral person. You are a wickedly immoral person. And that's what that term became synonymous with. Uh, it was a city given like Athens to idolatry, but idolatry that... Uh, uh, that thrived on prostitution and, and things like that. And so it was a wicked, wicked place. And that's where the Lord led Paul. Started in the synagogue and uh, went in and began to reason with them. The same thing as he had always done. While he was there, look in verse 5, Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia. The team is back together again. He's no longer by himself. Again, verse 5, Paul was pressed in the spirit. Uh, that means that he was totally consumed in his spirit with sharing Christ with the synagogue, with the Jewish people that were there. And he testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Remember, Christ is not a name, it's a title. Give me another, another name for Christ. Messiah or anointed one. They all three mean exactly the same things. So Paul is with more passion than ever. His friends seem to have just done that to him. The Bible says, iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. And as we've talked through this, the question comes before us. What kind of influence do you have on the people around you? Do you sharpen them in their zeal and their love and their commitment to Christ? Or do you make things dull and difficult? Do you drive even believers away and, and hurt their spirit? Or do you build them up? Silas and Timotheus built Paul up. Verse 6, those Jews in the synagogue rebelled against the teaching. They were much like the ones in Thessalonica when they opposed themselves. That means they set themselves in battle array. They were saying, don't confuse us with the facts we know what we believe. 
Uh, how many are uh, just so fascinated by those quoting the, the little phrase, trust the science? Yeah, when you, then you see what they believe is science. Um, those telling us to trust the science are the ones telling us that men can have babies. Those people don't know how to spell science, let alone what it is, uh, that type of thing. And you can sit down with all the facts and they're blind and they'll get angry and they'll get upset and all of that uh, type of thing. That's what happened in the synagogue. These people did not care what the Bible said. They resented Paul's passion for Christ. They not only set themselves in battle array, they blasphemed. Blaspheming the name of the Lord Jesus uh, and the God that they, they uh, claimed that they served. And so Paul, uh, again in verse 6, he shook his raiment. That's a symbolic act like us brushing crumbs off our lap after a meal. He's saying, I'm done. I'm all, I'm all done. I, I've given you the gospel. I've been weeks with you. I've been diligent with you. I've shown you from the scriptures. I've not shown you opinion. And, uh, and, and you want nothing to do with it. And he said, I'm clean. I've done what I was supposed to do. From henceforth, I will go unto the Gentiles. Now, we noticed last week, Paul wasn't giving up on the Jewish people. He was Jewish. We looked at Romans 9 and 10. That tremendous burden that Paul carried for his own people. Um, Paul was so burdened to see Jewish people come to know Christ that he said, if I could do one thing and it would result in their salvation, I'd do it. Does anybody remember what it was? He said, I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ, that I could die and go to hell in their place if that mean they'd get saved. He said, that's how desperately I want my people to hear the gospel. So in verse number six, Paul wasn't saying, I'm all done telling Jewish people about Christ. He's just saying to that group in Corinth, I'm all done wasting my time with you. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go from now on to the Gentiles. We saw in verse 7, he went right next door. There's a man named Justice. Uh, he had gotten saved, worshiped God. His house was literally connected to the synagogue. And all those that were saved started having church in Justice's house. They didn't have church buildings in the early days. They met in homes and things like that. Uh, what, a, what an insult, if you will, to the, the Jewish people. They, you know, they got rid of them out of the synagogue, but now every time they turn around, they're watching all these believers showing up at the house next door, and the crowds are growing and growing and growing, and the gospel's going out, and who knows, when in, in the, uh, that, that climate, the windows were probably open, and they're hearing Paul in there preaching, and they weren't having a real good time of it, but God's, God is birthing another church. But it wasn't without fruit, we saw in verse 8, Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. Uh, the, one of the most notable men in that synagogue uh, believed the scriptures, trusted Christ as Savior. Mrs. Crispus got saved. All the little Crispers got saved. And uh, so uh, they're, they're over meeting with this church. A lot of Corinthians in verse 8. Uh, they heard the word of God, uh, they believed, they were baptized, and the church at Corinth has its foundation. We looked verse 9 again last week. The Lord spake to Paul in, in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. 
as a young believer, and I'm hearing these, these accounts from the Bible for the first time, I had, a, I had it in my mind that people like the Apostle Paul were somehow uh, almost superhuman, that they were on this level way above the rest of us. Uh, if you see the paintings by the medieval masters and stuff, you know, they, they always have these little shiny things that are supposed to represent like a halo or something, or they have this light from heaven shining on them. And, you know, and you, you kind of get the eye everywhere they went. There was violin music or, you know, something like that. Uh, you understand that the Apostle Paul and Silas and Timothy and all the rest of them were made of the same things as we are. The Bible tells us of Elijah. There's a guy that knew God, am I right? In 63 words, one prayer of 63 words, he prayed down fire from heaven and a national revival started in the northern kingdom of Israel where thousands of people were shouting, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. That was Elijah. James tells us Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. They got hungry, they got tired, they got sick, they got discouraged, and sometimes they got afraid. Uh, we, we talked Sunday morning from 2 Corinthians 7 where Paul struggled with the issue of pride. And God saw that happening and God put a thorn in the flesh in his life to keep him in, the, in a humble frame of mind so God could keep using him. Um, in verse number nine, I cannot necessarily prove it, but I think the context does. Um, I think Paul was struggling with discouragement and fear. You understand, um, on his first journey at Lystra, they stoned him and left him for dead. Philippi got thrown in prison after being beaten and falsely accused. Thessalonica got run out of town through persecution. Berea, run out of town through persecution. Athens laughed, laughed at, called names, mocked and ridiculed. And now here he is at Corinth. And once again, it's his own people uh, against him. They've, uh, they've uh, opposed themselves. They've blasphemed and all of that. I kind of think the apostle might've been suffering with some discouragement here. Sort of like, Lord, is this the way it's gonna always be? Is it, is it, is it always gonna be a, a fight? Why does it always have to be a fight? By the way, this same man one day would tell us it's because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Uh, it's a spiritual warfare. Um, anybody ever gone through that? Yeah. Anybody ever wish it would stop like twice a day or more? Um, I think it's sweet of the Lord that God saw where Paul was and spoke to him and the very first words that God had to say to him was, be not afraid. Paul, I know you've seen this happen before. The enemies are rising up and it's getting hot already, but don't be afraid. He says to him, uh, be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. I wonder how many times we've, we knew God wanted us to give out a tract, but we were afraid of what people would think. We would, sometimes we're afraid, if somebody sees me do this, what will they say? We're just, we let fear take over on us and fear can clam us up. God said, Paul, don't, don't be afraid. I, I, know, 
I know they got vicious. They blasphemed. I, I, I realize those people are hot against you. It's the same type crowd that has persecuted uh, you since you started in this ministry. He said, but speak, hold not thy peace. And I like verse 10, for I am with thee. That's the verse that's right there on the wall. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. Love that verse. And I, I cherish that verse. And Paul's in, being encouraged by the Lord. And then God gives him a, a tremendous promise in verse 10. And no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. Nobody's going to lift a finger to hurt you. They might not like you. They might try, but you're going to be immune to it. I'm not going to let it happen. He's got a promise that's given to him by God. Um, his ministry is only a few weeks old. He only lasted a few weeks in Thessalonica, a few weeks in Berea. We think it was probably only in Athens for a few weeks as well. Um, and that's all the longer he's been in here. It seems like trouble's reared its ugly head. And God said, I'm giving you this promise. Nobody is going to hurt you. By the end of this chapter, Paul is going to have the privilege of watching God keep that promise in an astounding way. In our Sunday morning Sunday school class here in the auditorium, we are studying the book of Judges. If you're not coming to Sunday school, you're missing out on a great opportunity to learn the Bible. In Judges chapter 5, we learned about a man named Barak, uh, who Hebrews 11 says was a man of faith. He's listed in the Faith Hall of Fame. He was contacted by a woman named Deborah. She was a judge in Israel, and she was also called a prophetess. And uh, she called him and she told Barak, she said, hath not the Lord commanded you? Apparently, God had already spoken that Barak was supposed to get an army together and he was supposed to fight against the Canaanites. They had 900 chariots of iron. They were the best equipped military force in that part of the world in their day. Um, and uh, Deborah said, Hasn't God told you that you need to go and take care of this, that God's delivered uh, Jabin, uh, the king of Canaan, and Sisera, his captain, into your hand? And um, so uh, Barak responded and said, I will go. He said, but, but you need to go with me. He wasn't wimping out. Uh, he wasn't being a coward. Uh, he was being wise enough to realize Deborah knows God. Deborah walks with God. God talks to Deborah, I want Deborah with me when I go into battle because I want to hear from God every step of the way. And Deborah gave the only prophecy the Bible records about her, though she's called a prophetess. Um, Deborah told him at that point, you're going to certainly win the battle. God's going to give you the victory, but you're not getting the credit for it. The credit and the honor is going to go to a woman. Now, most men would have turned around and gone home and just plugged in their PlayStation and called it a day. Because the idea of them fighting the battle, but a woman getting the credit, their ego can't handle it. They, they are not about to forfeit their man card uh, to some woman like that. But Barak was a man uh, of higher character than that. He was a man who recognized 
and, and respected uh, Deborah's status and standing. And he, went, he got the army together. And he went out to the battle uh, and so forth. And uh, God did exactly what he, he said he was going to do. God said, I'm going to fight the battle. I'm going to deliver him. Uh, Brother Tim just took us through chapters 5 and 6 and showed us scripture after scripture. The Lord sent such a, a powerful rain uh, uh, on that region. The Bible says the mountains me melted. The, the, the land was just mired in water and mud. And these iron chariots got bogged down in the mud and they were useless against all of that. Uh, Sisera fled on foot. His chariot was useless, ran into the tent of a woman by the name of J.L. Uh, her and her husband uh, had made friends with the king of Jabin, and he thought he was on uh, uh, you know, friendly territory. And she, uh, he said, give me something to drink. Give me some water. And she gave him warm milk. Uh, and she gave him all kinds of stuff to make him comfy, cozy. He fell asleep, and she took a big old tent peg and a mallet and just pounded his head into the ground. Guys, be careful who you fall asleep around. And uh, J.L. got the credit for winning the battle. By the way, J.L.'s not mentioned in Hebrews 11, but Barak is. Because, see, Barak wasn't there just because he was getting credit. He was there to do the will of God. He was following the Lord by faith. It wasn't about who gets their name in lights. It's who does God want to do the job? And Barak knew his job uh, and so forth. The point of me referring us back to what we learned in Sunday school is that Barak got to see the prophecy that Deborah gave him fulfilled within a matter of days. Paul was going to have to wait a while, but he's got that promise to hang on to. Fear not, hold not thy uh, thy, thy, thy peace, go ahead and speak. I'm with you. No man's going to uh, set on thee to hurt thee. He said, for I have much people in this city. You're going to have a harvest in this place. Going to be a lot of people get saved here before all is said and done. Verse 11. He continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. He's already been there for a number of weeks. So now he's going to have another year and a half just with this church, teaching them the things of God's word, uh, understanding he's proclaiming Christ everywhere he goes. That, that was his life. That was his ministry. Uh, and uh, he is probably seeing the latter part of verse 10 uh, come to pass with many, many people coming to know Christ as Savior. The end of a year and a half now, and I'll just kind of think about this a little bit. Over here is the synagogue. Okay, that's where Paul started. Those are his countrymen. Uh, they, they share the common bloodline and, and heritage and so forth. He started and he proclaimed the gospel and they viciously rejected that by and large as a community. A few people got saved like Crispus, the ruler, and his family. And uh, so they just moved, not across town, just moved right next door and this church is established there. Can you imagine what it's like? Uh, Christmas, Crispus... Uh, doesn't go to church on Saturday anymore. He's going to church on Sunday, the first day of the week, and is going right next door to the synagogue where he used to be chief ruler. People are getting saved. Paul is teaching the Bible. Meanwhile, in the synagogue, they are seething at everything that they're seeing go on. They've threatened this guy. They've blasphemed. They've opposed. Uh, they, they just showed off all their wrath, and he's undaunted by it, and uh, people are getting saved. These are Corinthians. Remember the background? 
remember what they've been raised to be. These are people coming out of paganism and immorality. Uh, man, when they walk into that church, they're, they're a mess. Um, I mean, they, they, look, they look as heathen as a person can look, but it isn't long to these people. They're changing. Do you know when we get saved, we change? It was to the church at Corinth that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. How many can relate to that? You're like a first generation Christian. Okay, so I, I wasn't raised in a church like this. I wasn't raised with Bible standards and, and a Bible philosophy and, and a Bible teaching in any way, shape, or form. I was just an unsaved teenager who got saved and started going to church. I got saved in 1972. When I went into church and in my mind, I was walking in with the mindset of every other 14-year-old that I knew. Uh, I believed that man evolved from a single-celled creature uh, into the marvelous things that we are today. Um, I, I, uh, I, I believed in the morality of the world, the music of the world, though the music I listened to, you say, what was it? Go into just about any elevator in America. That's it. Toned down just a little bit. Um, you know, how many remember Three Dog Night? And Yeah, and sadly, we probably can Some of you are already thinking the songs and you're going to have to, you're going to go to bed tonight. How, why did the pastor mention it? I can't get it out of my head. That type of thing. By the way, I saw nothing wrong with it. Uh, in the 60s and 70s, when I was growing up, one of the most popular uh, television programs on in primetime was Ronan Martin's Laugh-In. Any people willing to admit that you watched that? By the way, utterly filthy show. I remember years later... Uh, it came on like Nickelodeon or something like that, reruns from the 70s. And I thought, oh, that was so funny in the 60s and, and could watch just a couple minutes of it. Absolutely vile, filthy, vulgar, terrible stuff. But see, I didn't know that was wrong. I didn't know the nudity and, and all the jokes and all the other things that they told were so contrary to the Bible. But I walked into church and I didn't have long hair, though that was the style because my dad said, you'll die if you think you're going to have long hair. I wasn't smoking and drinking. My dad said, I will kill you if you try those things. And I wasn't sure if maybe he might. Um, but I was your typical unsaved kid when I walked into church. But as I got exposed to the Bible, God started changing my life. Uh, the, the song we always sang in Bible school, teen group and stuff, the things I used to do, don't do them anymore. How many are familiar with that? How many can honestly say, by the grace of God, there are things you used to do a lot of before you got saved and God changed you and they are not even remotely part of your life anymore? Anybody like that? Yeah, praise God, absolutely. So now understand, here we are in the synagogue and they already, the Jewish people already see the Corinthians and all Gentiles as dogs. They, they see them as barbarians. They, they, they have no problem stating that. Uh, and they're over here all smug in, in their tradition and all that, even though they've rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah. But they're watching this church next door. And I'm sure in the early days, as the Corinthians start parading themselves in, and, uh, you know, they've, they've, 
they would have had, by the way, they would have had tattoos all over the place. That was a part of identifying which temple they were a part of. Undoubtedly, some of the ones walking in there served down at the temple of Artemis as one of those 1,000 temple prostitutes. There were drunkards and, and, and uh, people that were involved in the crime and the wickedness of the city, and they're walking in, and they, all, they looked like it. My wife used to say all the time when we pastored in Pennsylvania and when we pastored here, she said, if we don't have somebody putting out a cigarette in the parking lot, we're doing something wrong. We're not reaching people, but we don't want them to stay that way. Uh, and I'm sure when they walk, watch that crowd come in, yeah, we don't allow that in, in, in our synagogue. Look at them. They're, they're, they're just reaching out to the riffraff. By the way, Jesus got accused by the same crowd. Uh, you know, he eateth with sinners and publicans. And he had no problem with it. He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. But here's the thing that they couldn't argue with. Those same people that came in looking like the riffraff. After a while, they didn't look the same anymore. Now, they weren't carrying Bibles with them. That, that wasn't their, uh, done. The New Testament uh, was, was uh, just in its early days. It is believed while Paul was at Corinth in that year and a half that he wrote First and Second Thessalonians and probably the book of Hebrews uh, while he was there. Um, People didn't carry the big scrolls of scripture around with them, but they went to hear the Bible taught. They memorized scripture, but beyond that, that scripture changed them. Uh, women began to look modest and men began to look masculine and, and husbands were treating wives correctly and, and, and parents were bringing their children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And, and these people were changing. And here in, in synagogue land, they're, they're not sure what to do with that. Because you see, the changed lives is the stamp of approval that this work is of God. In, in 1 Thessalonians 1, we've looked at that multiple times. Um, Paul said the entire world knows your testimony, how you turned from idols to serve the living and the true God. They all watched it happen. They watched God change your life. And that was, that was the proof of the ministry we had among you. And so here in, in synagogue land, they are, they are unable to stop this. Uh, they thought by throwing him out that, that, that it was all done. And then they thought by the crowd he's reaching, uh, man, everybody's going to see that. But they were seeing something amazing happen over in that church right next door. And so they resorted to their same old tactics. By the way, the devil has no new playbook. His crowd has always played by the same rules. And, and even today we see the same things going on. Look what they did. Verse 12. And when Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, we're introduced to a ruler. Uh, Achaia is, again, this, this southern region of the Greek peninsula, okay? Corinth was where the proconsul lived. He was a person established by Rome. He had more power than a Roman governor like Pontius Pilate would have had. Gallio was the proconsul at this time. This guy, Gallio, um, was uh, pretty famous in his day. If, if you study Roman history a little bit, has anybody heard the name Seneca? Anybody ever heard of Seneca? Seneca was a Roman historian, orator, 
philosopher, and tutor. He was the counselor for Emperor Tiberius. Even today, um, Seneca's sayings, uh, he wasn't a saved man, uh, but his sayings had a lot of wisdom and, and a, a lot of good, decent, common sense type thing and, and, and so forth. Uh, Seneca was very well respected in Roman culture. Seneca had two sons. His oldest son was also named Seneca. His youngest son was named Gallio. Seneca Jr., at the time of this writing, is the counselor to Emperor Nero. He holds the same position for Nero that his father held for Tiberius. So this is a family with very strong connections to the emperors of Rome, okay? Um, Gallio was uh, known in his day of being a fair-minded man, of being a very strong man, but being an easily a, a approachable individual. You could just walk up and talk to this guy. Um, and and he, he didn't put on a lot of airs about himself. And so we know from verse 12, he is the deputy of Achaia. He's over that. The Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. Um, they thought this new movement would just die out a year and a half later. Um, a lot of people got saved just like God said was going to happen. And, and there's amazing things happen just next door. We don't know that that church was confined to one location. They may have spread to other uh, homes in the region, uh, that, that type of thing. In a large city such as that, we can picture that that might have been. Uh, but these Jews, the Bible says, with one accord, everybody in this synagogue said, we're going to put an end to this. We're going to go the route they did up in Thessalonica. They got rid of him by, by causing a riot and uh, getting him out of the city. We're going to do the same thing. I told you the devil, he, he just runs with the same plays every single time. So they grabbed a hold of Paul. And they brought him to the judgment seat. So Gallio is sitting. Uh, it would have looked like a throne. Today, if you go into a courtroom, there's a big high desk and the judge sits up on a chair, that type of thing. Um, and it, it would have been somewhat similar to that. Uh, they brought him to the judgment seat. Um, and they're going to get the power of Rome to stomp this thing out. Saying, this fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. Now, whether they're talking about the law of Moses or the law of Rome, they don't make clear. They keep it deliberately vague. They're always trying to uh, make uh, Paul and his companions to be some kind of lawbreaker, some kind of very, very dangerous people. And so they come with, with, with this nebulous uh, uh, type of uh, accusation against him. And, and the whole idea is uh, he doesn't believe like we do. He shouldn't be allowed to, to be here. Does that sound at all familiar? Uh, we, we live in cancel culture. That if somebody, uh, anybody believes contrary to the way you do, they shouldn't be allowed to speak. They shouldn't be allowed to have a Twitter account. They shouldn't be allowed to be on Facebook. Uh, we got to cancel them out. Uh, this woke phenomenon that's been, been, been uh, gaining steam over the last decade or so. Um, it is always promoted by people who proclaim and preach 
intolerance. Have you noticed how intolerant those tolerant people are? Um, they're all for freedom of speech so that they get to say exactly what they want to say, but nobody else is allowed to have freedom of speech that contradicts that. Um, you've probably seen what I've seen on news reports um, and, 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 and things like that of school board meetings where parents are standing up and they're taking books that were handed to their children in a first, second, third, fourth grade class in an elementary school or their child brought home that they, they got in the school library and it's nothing but pornography filled with with uh, we're talking the f-bombs every file every vile word and th that type of thing and parents in some kind i saw a little boy reading the book and his parents actually let him read it and say the words that were in the book everybody at that school board meeting was gasping except the school board they turned the microphone off and um uh, you know, you're not, allowed to, you're not allowed to discuss that here. You're not allowed to say that. We even watched the last few years our FBI go after some of those people as what they call them? Domestic terrorists. Nothing new under the sun. Don't, don't act like, well, this, is, this is, no, this is what the devil's always done. Um, and so they're saying, these people are teaching something and, and we don't like what they're teaching. And the whole idea was you need to kill them. You, you need to stomp them out. And in verse number 14, we're assuming they said more than that in, in verse 13. We only have that one sentence uh, recorded in Scripture. In verse 14, and when Paul was now about to open his mouth, he hasn't even had a chance to defend himself. No rebuttal whatsoever. Gallio said unto the Jews, if it were a matter of wrong... Or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. Now he's just he's taking he's taking the the, the mentality of his father, just you know, saying uh, you, you can't have freedom of thought and speech and religion and deny it to somebody else. And that's, that's what's going on in our world very, very much today. Again, it's nothing new. So Paul's about to answer these guys and Gallio just pretends, acts like Paul's not even there. Um, Paul, Paul's not gonna have to say a word. By the way, go back to verse number 10. We're almost done. For I'm with thee and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. Is that not the promise of God? I'm gonna take care of you. Nobody's gonna hurt you. I'm with you. He didn't say, Paul, you're gonna, you're gonna get up and defend yourself and you're gonna win by the power of logic and persuasion and all that. God said, I've got this. I'm gonna take care of this and nobody's gonna hurt you. How cool it is for Paul that day. He's, he's, he's been hauled in there. And I doubt if they just showed up and said, sir, could, could you come with me? We want to go down and talk to Gallio and, and, and have him see if he can iron out our differences. That's not the way these guys worked, according to the other verses. They opposed themselves. They blasphemed. They're grabbing hold of him. Uh, they've got the same fury in their hearts they had in Thessalonica and everywhere else. Paul's encountered that type of a crowd. Um, 
So here's Paul standing there, and, and whatever they've said beyond verse 13 has gone on. Paul is about, sir, and Gallio interrupts him and said to, the, to his accuser, he goes, look, if these guys had broken a Roman law, if they were guilty of some kind of wicked lewdness, if they were murdering people, if they were thieves, uh, if they were kidnapping, if they were in, into, you know, human trafficking or something like that, he said, reason would that I'd stand with you and, and I'd, I'd lock them up, throw away the key. He said, but if it's a matter of words, you know, we're, we're so afraid of words, um, you know, that type of thing. Uh, a matter of words or questions of your law, your religious belief, he said, just take care of it yourself. Stop, stop acting like this. Um, and, and Paul, this is the last Paul's going to say in that courtroom. And verse 16, and he drave them from the judgment seat. So they brought Paul into the judgment seat, shoving and, and all of that. And it's obvious that he's, he's uh, the, 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 the object of their hatred. And now Gallio when it says he drave them out, it doesn't just mean he had the bailiff open the door. He's got his people there and they got their, their uh, weapons out. He always had armed guards around him. All the Roman consuls and officials did that. And uh, they're, they're beating on these boys and Paul's just standing there going, Shazam. Isn't that what God told him? Was, he, he's gonna, God said, I'm going to take care of you. He didn't say how, didn't say when, and Paul's just standing back. He's not even, he's not lifted a finger. He's not even said a word in his own defense. God has taken care of it for him. Apparently, one of the Jew, Jewish crowd wasn't taking no for an answer. As they're getting herd, herded out the door, they're being driven out the door, then all the Greeks, uh, this is not uh, the, the, the church members from Corinth. Paul would not have allowed uh, this to happen uh, from his congregation. Notice what they did. All the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue. He was Crispus' replacement and beat him before the judgment seat. Most commentators believe it's because Sosthenes was not about to take no for an answer. And even as they're driving his companions out the door, Sosthenes is point of order, sir, point of order. And he's trying uh, to continue this thing. And the same guys that drove the, the others out the door, look at him. He is defying Gallio, the proconsul. Anybody here ever watch Judge Judy? If I ever go to court, I want her on my side. Uh, I, I haven't watched her long, but I, I remember she'd be up there talking and, and one of the people would be talking over her. How did she respond to that? Did she like that? Oh my goodness, she could yell at them. Um, I mean, I, she's an older lady, but I think she's scary. I, she really is. I do not want on her bad side. I think what Sosthenes found out is he's standing beside Judge Judy's great-great-grandfather. And Gallio was having none of it. And those guys turned around and said, you were told to leave. You were told to shut up. Gallio already ruled that he is not getting involved in this. And they beat him. And the Bible says, and Gallio cared for none of these things. He, he wasn't shaken. It was like, I told you. 
I told you, you should have listened to me. And, and here's Paul standing over here like, wow. Can I just kind of be honest? If it was me, I'd be thinking, cool. Yeah, beat away. Yeah, you deserve that. Um, though I don't think Paul had my carnal mentality on that. Because see, Paul wasn't there to get people in trouble. He never rejoiced when even his enemies got into difficulty. That was the opposite of what he taught. He said, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. God said in Romans, where Paul makes that statement, for the Lord has said, I will repay saith the Lord. He said, vengeance belongs to God. We, we, don't, we don't do that on our own. Paul saw all of that. None of that was bringing him any joy. It only brought him joy in the sense that he saw God keep his word and he knew I'm safe in the will of God. This guy Sosthenes, and we're, we're done. I've got one more minute. We're done out of here. Turn, if you would, uh, to, let me see. I want you at 1 Corinthians the letter that Paul wrote back to the church that was meeting in the house next door of the synagogue. Sosthenes is the chief ruler of the synagogue. The Greeks have beaten him. He's the guy that led the charge against Paul that day in Gallio's courtroom. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and some of you aren't there yet. I hear the pages still turning. Let's start over. Let's read it together, shall we? Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. See, Paul wasn't there to make people pay. He wasn't there to get even. He was there to win people to Christ. The Bible gives us no more details on this, but Gallio's men beat him and Gallio just said, I told you, he cared not at all. Didn't faze him even a little bit. Somewhere along the line, either Sosthenes got to thinking about, we wanted that man to be hurt and we were the ones that got hurt and he never wanted the same thing back. He was different than we were. We wanted our pound of flesh. He didn't want that at all. We're not sure if Paul sought him out. Sir, are you okay? Remember, they're, they're Jews. They're kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul understood that. Somewhere along the line, Sosthenes got saved, and he is now traveling with the apostle Paul in the ministry. Ain't God good. If we would just learn to trust him, we would see God do the most amazing things. We do need to stop. Brother Tim, do we need to tear down? If you're willing and able to help us uh, to tear down the auditorium for school tomorrow with the, the weather up and down as it is. If you're not able to help, if you just take your fellowship out into the hallway or whatever, and please don't forget to get your kids. Let's stand. Thank you for being here tonight. Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for...